evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver, back in studio, back live on the show. Uh, very excited, loaded, almost said Wednesday show, but a special Thursday show. Obviously, I was coming home from uh, from vacation yesterday, so I, I didn't feel like I had the proper energy. I'm like, you know what? I still want to do the show. still want to do Bryson's Best 10 and all the other stuff that's happened in sports since my show on Monday morning, which aired Monday night. It was not live. But uh, nonetheless, we've got an absolutely loaded show on tap for you guys tonight. Very, very excited to get into it. John Morant made some interesting and I thought baffling comments following his incredible buzzer beater in his in his return from a 25-game suspension in the Grizzlies win. A, by the way, a very rare win for the Grizzlies. That's another hero there. I'll get into that in about 45 minutes. Also, carving up the context, we got another good one this week. It revolves around Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. And a minor lesson that Mr. Rogers and the Jets in particular taught me, uh, one that I didn't think I needed to relearn, but sometimes in life we get, maybe we we forget certain things and 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 the people come along to to remind us of that. I'll discuss that in about a half hour. Also going to get into Shaq, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, one of the greatest basketball players ever and does some great commercials. Uh, as we, we, we all know the, the big diesel. He made some comments regarding my favorite player of my favorite team, Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors, and saying that he is in the GOAT discussion. I will give you my reaction in about 15 to 20 minutes or so. Bryson's best 10, my top 10 teams coming into week 16. We got three weeks left of this regular season, folks. It has flown by. It is the stretch run. Uh, the pretenders and contenders have definitely separated themselves. Definitely some shockers in Bryson's best 10. Definitely stay tuned for that at the top of the next hour. And at the end of the show, Rams versus Saints predictions. Very excited to get into that big matchup. Listen, the Thursday night games throughout the vast majority of the season have kind of been duds. We get a good one uh, t tonight in Los Angeles between the Saints and the Rams. Two 7-7 seven seven teams, two teams fighting for playoff positioning. Going to get into that uh, in about an hour and 15 or so, so definitely stay tuned and tune in for that. But first, I had to get into Monday Night Football. Philadelphia Eagles, Seattle Seahawks. I, for the record, did pick the Seahawks to win this game simply because of the fact that I thought Jalen Hurts would play and we knew he was sick. We knew, I, th I read the report that he had flown in with the team, but away from the team to not spread whatever he had. I think they say he has the flu away from his Eagles teammates. And so they had a sick quarterback, obviously. And I did assume that Drew Locke was going to play in place of the injured Geno Smith, who looks to be coming back this week for Seattle. But I said, look, both teams are desperate, but Seattle, one could argue, is more desperate because if they lose this game, they're 6-8. and eight, Their playoff positioning is looking dicey at best, given that Minnesota, who has a tough stretch ahead nonetheless. but And then you got the Rams above them and the Seahawks. like They don't have a ton of tiebreakers, to my knowledge. Seattle really, really, really needed to win this game. And I thought they could win this game because of the fact that Philadelphia's defense is not very good. Um, it is time. It is official. I haven't been doing this. Uh, you know me. I'm the ultimate calm, measure guy, long season, let everything play itself out. I prided myself on doing that. But this is one of those rare instances, especially even when it, with this, it being a great team, which Philadelphia uh, is certainly not that, but some believe they are. I don't. Uh, Bryce's best 10 in an hour. But um, it's time to sound the alarm. It's time to, sound, to hit the panic button. It is time to panic on the Philadelphia Eagles because the fact of the matter is we got the panic button. We got it. Yeah, there it is. Okay, panic button. Hit it. Because uh, Philadelphia's in trouble. Okay, and I'll, I'll give you a few reasons why they're in trouble. Okay, number one. And this is, I've sounded this alarm <laughs> for months since week, literally week one of the season. I don't believe in sounding alarms in week one. But in this case, I did. 
when Philadelphia went into Foxborough, escaped by the skin of their teeth against what we now know is a horrendous Patriots team. I think New England's worse than Carolina. I think the Patriots are the worst team in football, making that that win against my Steelers even, even more embarrassing. But the point is, New England's awful. Matt Jones is awful. Been saying that since he came to the league. And he torched this Eagles defense. Torched them. Threw for 300 yards, three touchdowns. Like, what the heck? Yeah, I thought this Eagles defense is supposed to have Darius Slay and James Bradbury and Hassan Reddick rushing the passer. And Jalen Carter, they drafted out of Georgia, who's been very good, by the way. So no, no shade against Carter. But I'm like, what the heck? Sam Howell's torched him Dak, uh, twice, by the way. Dak Prescott's torched him twice. They've had guys like Josh Allen. Again, some of, some of these guys are elite players. Sam Howell and Mac Jones certainly do not belong in that category. But virtually every quarterback they played have got Brock Purdy torched them. Drew Locke didn't torch them until the final drive. Philadelphia is clean for dear life. They're making mistakes in the fourth quarter. Jalen Hurts didn't play particularly well. Again, I'm not big in the injury excuse or the sick excuse, but listen, somebody, I think we have all had the flu at some point in our lives. I had it about a year and a half ago. You feel, I don't know what degree Hurts had it for the record, but let me tell you, so the flu is awful, so I'll give him a little bit of a pass there. But Seattle gets the ball, okay? Seahawks get the ball at their own eight-yard line with less than two minutes left, and I believe only one timeout. I'm sorry, no timeouts left. And went down the field in a minute to win the game. Drew Locke hit Jackson Smith and Jigba for the record. Every single completion. Think about this, folks. Every single completion on that final drive, Seattle uh, Drew Locke against the Eagles defense came against James Bradbury. Every single one, to DK Metcalf, to Jackson Smith and Jigba, who caught the game-winning touchdown. Every single completion on that drive went against James Bradbury. So he's getting exposed, big time. They tried to bring in Darius Leonard. Hasn't panned out. They tried to bring in a, a, a guy from the Tennessee Titans and Kevin Bynard. He hasn't panned out. They made a defensive coordinator change. This shows, shows you Philly's pushing the panic button, at least on offense. They tried to make a change of defensive coordinator, essentially, by bringing in Matt Patricia, rather than the other guy that they had. And it still doesn't work. Again, up three. Yeah, I'm sorry, up four, rather. So Seattle needs a touchdown under two minutes to go from their own eight-yard line, and Seattle scores, and there's still time on the clock for Philly. Okay, so panic reason, panic button reason number one, Philadelphia's defense is terrible, but we've always known they've been terrible. At least anybody who's been watching the games. Number two, I think their quarterback is, Jay, listen, if there's one word I don't think we'll ever associate with Jalen Hurts, nor should we, it's panic. Jalen Hurts is the most level-headed, calm, cool, collected guy I think I've ever seen at the position. I'm dead serious when I say that. He is as measured, not to say other guys aren't, but my gosh, he's rock solid. Even Jalen Hurts said, yeah, I don't think the commitment level is where it needs to be. Uh, we're in week 16. You're not committed? That's like... That's like two weeks before finals, and, and, and at the end of the semester, you're like, yeah, commitment level just isn't there. Then was it ever there to begin with? That's the question for Philadelphia. So I think the quarterback is panicking a little bit. Number three, I think the coach is panicking a little bit, Nick Sirianni. Did you see the quote he had in the press conference uh, recently this week in Philadelphia? This is rich. So when Jalen Hurts throws that interception on the last Eagles offense play of the game, okay, there's... I believe there's 12 seconds left on the clock. The Eagles are at their own 46-yard line, okay? Yeah, I'm sorry, 44-yard line. At their own 44-yard line, Seahawks, uh, Eagles had the ball 12 seconds to go, no timeouts. Field goal would tie the game, and we know they have a great kicker in Jake Elliott. And Jalen Hurts makes a very questionable decision, takes a shot down the field to A.J. Brown in double coverage, gets picked off, game over. 
They asked Nick Sirianni about that. And maybe Nick Sirianni is trying to, to defend his quarterback. If so, hats off to him. But his quote was, you can get a pass interference there on the deep ball to A.J. Brown. So now we're relying on refs? And by the way, if Philadelphia, game situation matters. Like, I, I, that's why, why I always praise situation, great coaches and teams situationally. If Philadelphia has 12 seconds left, but they're at their own 20, yeah, I, you might as well just throw a prayer up in the air, hope somebody interferes with somebody else, and you get a free 30 or 40 yards. Bro, you need 15 yards to get in the field goal range, and we just saw a few weeks ago Jake Elliott hit a bomb field goal in a driving rainstorm to tie the game against Buffalo. So if I'm Jake Elliott, you know, I'm going to be thinking, hey, does the coach trust me? After all I've shown, he still doesn't trust me. So again, maybe that's just a take up first quarterback. I'm not sure. And he is right. You could get a pass interference in theory, but at that point, you're not relying on your quarterback or your playmaker. You're relying on the Zebras. You're relying on the guy to throw the flag on the field and, and, and get bailed out, essentially. That's not going to work. So for Philadelphia, and, and another, by the way, number four, I meant to mention this as well, number four. The one thing Philadelphia is undeniably amazing at is the brotherly shove, a play that is, to my chagrin, and I hate the Eagles, by the way, but to my chagrin is going to get banned by the NFL. My mindset is, stop it. You don't like it, stop it. Okay, find a way. Even on that play, they're discombobulated. Remember Jason Kelsey moving the football, costing the Eagles five yards on that fourth down? They can't even execute that play well right now. And I remember saying... About the Eagles. I remember saying this when they lost to the New York Jets. Uh, and I said, this eight-game stretch is going to define their season. It's going to define their season. It's going it to really dictate, in many ways, their playoff positioning. Now we still have three games to go, obviously. But that eight-game stretch really would tell us a lot about where Philadelphia is this year uh, in regards to the contenders in the NFC, which we believe them generally to be in. I said, this eight-game stretch, they started against Miami. Blew out Miami. It says 31-17. They blew up Miami. The defense played unbelievable. It's probably the defense's best game of the season, given how good the Dolphins are. At Washington, a little dicey. They've struggled with Washington in the past. They got the win. Dallas at home. By inches beat the Cowboys, but they beat them. Went to Kansas City off of a bye. Now, many could argue, if Marquez Valdez Scantling simply does what he has paid millions of dollars to do, and that's catch a football, we probably have a different conversation today. But they won that game. Okay, whatever. The next week, he gets Buffalo at home. If Josh Allen and Gabe Davis are simply on the same page in overtime, they probably lose that game. And then it all comes down from there. Get blown out by San Francisco, which I'll honestly defend Philly in that regard because Dallas got blown out by San Francisco. So did Jacksonville. I know Jacksonville's not playing very well as of late, but I still think Jacksonville is a, a pretty good football team. I'll give them a little bit of a pass there. Then they got blown out by Dallas, who I believe will win the NFC. I said that before the season. Not great in that situation as well. Then they go to Seattle against a backup quarterback with extra rest, given it's a Monday night game, and they collapse in the fourth quarter defensively. So they're not good situationally on defense. They're not that good, at least in the last few weeks, they haven't been good situationally on offense. Their coach seems to be reaching. Their quarterback is concerned with the commitment level of the team, and the defense is awful. And they can't even execute the brotherly shove correctly. So if we're talking about the contenders in the NFC and we think about among the top three, most people believe it's San Francisco, Dallas, Philly. San Francisco, we literally just saw, they're miles ahead of Philadelphia. It feels like they're miles ahead of everybody at this point. Dallas is clearly better than Philadelphia. Better quarterback. I think the better coach. Definitely the better defense. 
Weapons, I give the Eagles advantage, but see what CeeDee Lamb's doing right now. Yeah, it's time to, it's time to hit that panic button. Listen, I, I said a few weeks ago after that win against Buffalo and everybody was talking about, oh, the Eagles are lucky. They're lucky. And I said, yes, that's true. I acknowledge it at the time. You can go back, check the tape. I acknowledge, yes, they are lucky, but I've never viewed lucky as a as a negative as, as much as some other people do. I'm like, my, my mindset is to win a championship, by definition, you have to be at least in one way lucky, which is hell. Every single champion that's ever won in any level has been lucky to a certain degree. There's nothing wrong with that. That's why I really don't believe in asterisks next to championships other than like the 2017 Astros when they had an unfair advantage due to cheating, obviously. Um, but they are, and I listen, I'm far from the first person to make this comparison. Matter of fact, I'm probably the last of the party in this regard. They're very similar in many ways to, and we have one team every year that's like this. 2020 Steelers, 2021 Cardinals, 2022 Vikings, dare I say, 2023 Eagles. An excellent quarterback who's having a down season, a defense that is objectively terrible, and down the stretch seems to be imploding a little bit. So yeah, it's this this game upcoming against the Giants. I think if Philadelphia loses this game, they're one and done in the playoffs. First of all, they lose this game. Their NFC East hopes are probably cooked. I'd pick Tampa Bay to beat them right now. The way Tampa's playing, the what Baker's doing, what that defense is doing, those weapons, Tampa's not only playing better than Philly right now, but put them on the field right now in Tampa Bay, which is where the game would be, because uh, right now the standings have Philly as the five seed. I think I'd take Tampa. So Philadelphia at home against the Giants. For the record, they're 13.5-point favorites. I'll predict that game tomorrow. That's on Christmas Day. But, man, it is, it's not looking so hot for Philadelphia. As for, as for Seattle, that was a really cool moment. Drew Locke had a great post-game interview with Lisa Salters on ABC and ESPN. He, was, he played very well, especially in that last drive. So good for Drew Locke. Really, you know, second chances are always great to see in sports. That's why we love it. And props to Pete Carroll. Put together a great game plan to stop a very, very talented Eagles offense. But, man, it's, it's panic time. No question about that. Let's see. You got a couple comments here. My man Patrick Brown, uh, a Cowboys fan as, as well as a member of the Grid Network, writes pieces for thegrid.com. He says, my Tar Heels, Lakers, and Cowboys took losses. The Eagles losing took all my misery away. Uh, seeing a rival lose tend to, tends uh, to do that, Patrick. Cry, Eagles, cry. You know, I loved about the cry, Eagles, cry. That's always been like a general moniker for people like myself who hate Philadelphia. Uh, hate in a sports context, obviously. I don't hate anybody. But... I, I love the NBA. It made its way on the NBC broadcast a week ago, a week and a half ago when they played Dallas. That was really good. Uh, Parnell is going to an NBA topic. He says, is Joel Embiid your MVP? Well, right now it's hard to argue. Otherwise, um, I still think Jokic is in that conversation given what he's doing. I would make a case LeBron. Now the Lakers aren't playing very well right now, but I, I would argue LeBron is potentially in that discussion given what he's doing. Um, Halliburton's been great. So you can't rule out my guy, Steph, who I'll talk about in just a minute with, with what Shaq said about him. But yeah, what Embiid is doing, what he did last night against Minnesota, my Lord, just took them apart. Parnell, Dallas's defense should be concerned with Miami's running game. They must eliminate that component to win and succeed. Big problem with Miami is McDaniel's clock management. Yeah, and, I, and I'll talk more about Dallas and Miami tomorrow. I know Tua had a, a comment yesterday uh, regarding the narrative surrounding him. And I, I didn't have time to get in today, but I'll talk about it tomorrow because I think there, it's a really interesting and, and kind of nuanced conversation. But yeah, Dallas, and I said this on Monday's show, and I said don't panic on the Cowboys in part because we've always known they couldn't stop the run in all of their losses. And I think I, I read the stat, like in their four losses, they give up on average like 190 rushing yards a game. So they're not good 
in that regard. They're bad against, they were bad against Arizona against the run, terrible against the Niners uh, against the run. Not that good, not terrible, but not that good against Philadelphia and their loss in the city of brotherly love. And then against Buffalo, they got absolutely bulldozed in many ways. The only thing, Parnell, I would say is a difference. I'll keep your comment back up there. The only thing I would say is a difference is that Buffalo like San Francisco is very much, and it's crazy that Buffalo's kind of discovered their identity in this regard. They're very much a power run team. With James Cook, the offensive line is playing very well this year. Josh Allen, we know the physical specimen that he is running the football. They're very much a punch-you-in-the-mouth type of a team. Miami isn't. Miami is a team that likes to use their running game, a lot of outside run plays. Um, they're more of a team that relies on speed rather than physicality. Now, Miami can run the football, obviously, with HM, with Raheem Mostert. Uh, they can use Tyree Kill or Jalen Waddle in the run game as well in some trick plays. But they're more of a team that likes to use their speed. That, to me, actually plays to Dallas's favor because Dallas is a young, fast defense. Dallas is not a big physical defense. That's their, like San Francisco is, Baltimore is. My Steelers, not a contender, obviously, but my Steelers are a big physical defense. And so I think that matchup actually kind of helps Dallas. Now, if Dallas is playing San Francisco, different story. But I think how you run the football is a big conversation as well. And again, I'll talk more about Dallas and Miami uh, on tomorrow's show. Parnell says, uh, Buffalo realized if they handled the ball with Cook, it's beneficial. Even if even if Josh Allen, yeah, I saw that comment by Josh. Uh, even Josh Allen felt like he was the kid in the class project who did nothing and got an A. And that's, by the way, for Josh Allen, and, and people think I've been critical of him this year. My thing is, has always been with Josh, because I think he's a sensational talent. Sensational talent. Like this notion, oh, can the Bills win a Super Bowl, Josh? Of course they can. But my criticism of him has always been the low-reward, high-risk plays. If a quarterback throws a bunch of picks, but they're on go-either-way plays, then you just you just got bad, you got bad luck on some of them. You might get good luck on some of them. Your receiver pull it down. It's the Josh trying to hurdle a guy when he's on third down when he's going to be five yards short of the first down. Like, I, I don't like that. I don't like him taking some of the hits. I wish he would slide more often than he does. So, some of the decision-making, he, he, you know, in terms of some of his throws, not great. Uh, I think he just, that in that game against Dallas, he finally broke a long streak of not having a turnover. So I, I, I'm a big proponent of turnovers don't bother me as long as on those turnovers, because every turnover has their own story. On those turnovers, there was a chance that that play could have worked out for you. Now you're going to have the occasional bad mistake. It happens. You just don't want it to happen often. But for Josh, you know, you, you had to feel great. Like, I don't have to be Superman for us to win a game against a great team at home, especially with as much as was, was riding on that game for Buffalo. So, yeah, hats off to the Bills. No question about it. I thought they were very, very impressive. And uh, But, again, as for Philly, uh, whew, it's panic time. Now, the only silver lining for Philly is their upcoming schedule is about as weak as there is in the NFL. They got the Giants twice in Arizona. Now the Giants, we saw them beat Green Bay. You know, Tommy DeVito doing what he's doing. Arizona has played better with Kyler Murray. They're actually at points somewhat competitive with San Francisco. So Arizona seems to have found a little bit of an identity. Looks like the way Kyler's playing, he may end up staying. We'll see if they draft a quarterback or not. Or maybe they trade down the draft, try and get him some offensive line help or receiver. Only time will tell that. Or maybe they stay with the put and take Marvin Harrison uh, Jr. So. We'll see. I did want to shift to the NBA for a second, though. Uh, Aaron Rodgers carving up the context in about 10 minutes. Want to shift to the NBA because Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Big Diesel, you know, we, we all know him as, as one of the greatest players ever, one of the most dominant players of all time. And he was talking on Inside the NBA, which is, we all know, is the best sports show on television, and it's not particularly close, and that's not a shot at any other sports shows, but the chemistry, the analysis, the shenanigans, the, the incredible talent that's 
on that desk in Atlanta, Georgia, it, it, it doesn't it simply does not get better than those four. But Shaq was talking about Steph Curry. And Steph, by the way, against the Boston Celtics, who my Warriors played on Tuesday, and got a little mini three-game winning streak, so I'm feeling good about that. But against Boston, Steph Curry had 13 points uh, at, at about two and a half, three quarters, and was kind of struggling with the shot. And then Jalen Brown backed Steph down, did the too small celebration, and that's the absolute last guy you want to poke, so, you know, poke the bear, so to speak. And Steph Curry ended up scoring 20 after that, scored 33 in total, and hit an insane dagger shot in overtime to, you know, in the in, – Steph would put it, you know, put him to sleep, put him away, put him night night. And so, and Steph, we, we know is the, is the owner and operator of the Boston Celtics and has been for quite some time. But Shaq was talking about him and he said, I think it's time to have conversations about whether or not Steph is in the GOAT discussion. About it, whether, whether or not we, you know, we talk about LeBron and Jordan, Bron Jordan, back and forth. Some say Kobe, others say, what about Kareem? And Shaq says, hey, what about Steph? Let's put him in that discussion. Full disclosure, I am about as big of a Steph Curry fan as there is. I personally think he's the sixth greatest basketball player to ever play. I truly, to my core, believe that. Uh, I put him over every... You say, well, you put him over this guy, put him over that guy. I'll put it simply like this. I put Steph Curry over every single player in the history of the NBA outside of Braun, Jordan, Kareem, Kobe, Magic. And he's on Magic's heels right now. He's not in the GOAT discussion. And I had a conversation or a topic like this back in May when the Warriors were playing the Lakers in the second round. And I remember Stephen A. Smith, the great Stephen A. Smith, love him, respect him, and what he's done in this business. He's, he's, he's the man. But Stephen A. said, hey, if the Warriors beat the Lakers, which wish we did, we, we lost in six, but he said, if the Warriors beat the Lakers, well, all of a sudden, Steph will be 4-1 and one against LeBron. We may have to move LeBron out of Mount Rushmore and put Steph in. And I remember talking about that the next day on my show. I said, that is absolute insanity to even suggest that. Uh, Steph is not LeBron James. He's simply not. Uh, every series that they played, all five, Bron has been the better player in minimum three of the series, if not four of them. I thought Steph was better than LeBron the most recent time they played. Again, Bron's 38 years old. Steph was still 35 and, and still uh, in, in his prime. Although one could argue LeBron's still in his prime, but that's another conversation for another day. This is, and here's what I hate about these conversations. This is what I hate about these conversations. Is when Shaq talks about should Steph be in the GOAT discussion, the overwhelming sentiment, myself included, is absolutely not. So that means now we have to say, yeah, Steph's great, but it's a yeah, but discussion. I'll use an example for my fellow Star Wars fans out there. Okay, I am in the ultra minority. And I mean ultra minority that thinks that Episode 7 of Star Wars, the first sequel movie, was actually a really good movie. It copied A New Hope a little bit. That's whatever. It was a good movie. I, I personally thought it was excellent. Uh, 8 was an abomination. 9 was not as bad as people think, not as good as some people think. It was fine. 7 was a good movie. That would be like if I watched The Force Awakens with a friend. And I said, that was a great movie. Or even a, a, it was a really good movie. And my friend said, yeah. That was better than The Empire Strikes Back. I'd be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. That, no, it's not. That's, then you have to walk it back like, yeah, but it was good, but it's not this. That feels like what we're having to do now with Steph is, yeah, he's great, but he's not LeBron, he's not MJ, he's not Kareem. To me, the, and I've said this before, the absolute highest, and I don't want to ever put limits on a guy as great as Steph, 
because I've said I think Steph will be the Tom Brady of the NBA, which looks like LeBron's doing right now. But I think Steph, if he wants to, can play and still be great in his 40s because of how he plays and how he takes care of his body. I think Steph can still be great in his early 40s. Truly believe that. Um, the highest I think he can get is fourth. I think Steph can get on that Mount Rushmore. I don't have him there right now. I know there are other, some out there that do. I think it's a little too premature. I think Steph can get into the Mount Rushmore. I think the three there's three guys that it would be almost impossible for not only Steph, but just about anybody to catch. I think LeBron's the GOAT. If you think Jordan's the GOAT, whatever. They're, they're splitting hairs. I think Bron's the GOAT by a hair over Jordan. I think anybody who argues Bron Jordan that it's not razor thin don't know what they're talking about. It's I think it's Bron by hair. If you think it's Jordan, then it's by hair. It's as simple as that. It's that close. There are Bron fans that think it's not even close. Jordan fans that think it's not even close. They don't know what they're talking about. It's that close. Then I think there's a relatively sizable gap. Not huge, but it's there. And then you have Kareem at three. Then I think it's an even bigger gap to Kobe at four. Respect to the late, great Kobe Bryant. I think those guys, those three, it would take a once-in-a-generation, not that Steph isn't, not that Kobe or Magic or anybody else isn't, it would take somebody we've we've never really seen before to catch those three. To cap, forget LeBron Jordan, to catch Kareem. I mean, people talk about, eh, Kobe is the greatest ever. Again, respect Kobe. I've got him fourth all time. Kareem has, not that this matters, matters to the GOAT discussion necessarily, but start to finish, high school, college, NBA, Kareem's the best player ever. His best college player, I'm sorry, best high school player, best college player probably ever. And up until Jordan was the greatest NBA player ever, at least in my view. So you have these discussions, you have these conversations. I think it will be almost impossible for Steph to catch those three. Um, I think Steph, with a championship or an MVP, given what he's doing at his age, he would pass Magic Johnson. Because people say, oh, what about Magic? What he did was is, was incredible in the time he he played. And it was. There's no question about that. Magic had, excuse me, Magic won five uh, titles. For at least three, I would argue four of those titles, Kareem was either very good or awesome still. I maintain Kareem should have won MVP of the finals in 1980. Magic was great in game six. Uh, Kareem should have won finals MVP. Or was it game six, game seven? Yeah, game six or game seven against Philadelphia. Kareem should have won MVP. Nonetheless, Steph had an all-timer, like a top 75-level player ever for three years of his career. Kevin Durant got two titles out of it and got a third finals appearance and nearly, nearly three-peated. So I think it's an MVP or championship. He surpasses magic for me. I think it would take a couple titles or an MVP and a championship to surpass Kobe. I think it's, you probably need one of one of the two or two of the other, so to speak, like a championship and two MVPs or an MVP and two championships, which for Steph, that seems more likely to, to pass Kobe Bryant. Uh, because at that point, it'd be like, you have more MVPs and more championships. It's going to be hard to argue one guy is better than, better than the other. That's why I have magic above Steph. But in the GOAT discussion, he cannot touch LeBron or Michael or Kareem. Kareem won with two different franchises. Kareem up until eight months ago, sorry, 10 months ago, was the all-time leading scorer in NBA history for darn near four decades. He had the most unstoppable shot ever. Uh, he was the Gal. I mean, again, Milwaukee did not win a championship for a half century after he left. 
for half century. Michael second. Michael is the greatest two-way player the game has ever seen, I would argue. Certainly greatest two-way guard ever. That's inarguable. Uh, because we know what he was offensively, multiple scoring titles, defensive player of the year, six for six in the finals, led the, it might be the greatest dynasty that the NBA has ever seen with respect to Russell Celtics, and was about as galvanizing a force for the NBA as we've ever seen. The shoe sales, the popularity, uh, the NBA was at its popularity peak in the 90s, and MJ deserves the vast majority of the credit for that. And then for me, we can argue about the order, but just, let's just put LeBron, forget where he ranks, let's just talk about LeBron versus Steph. You say, what about Steph? He's got a winning record against LeBron in the playoffs. Isaiah Thomas also has a winning record against Jordan in the playoffs. Now, he still thinks Isaiah Thomas, great as he was, was better than MJ. Okay? And by the way, Steph in, let me do the math. At least three, if not four of those series had the better team. He, that's an argument. Certainly in 17 and 18 and definitely 15 when LeBron lost Kyrie and Love. LeBron's the all-time leading scorer, top 10 in assists all-time. I, I think is either in or close to the top 10 in rebounds all-time. He should have won Defensive Player of the Year in 2013. Over, it should have gotten over Marcus Gasol. Steph's never been close to that discussion. LeBron has taken some flat-out awful teams, awful teams, to the finals. 07, 15, he carried a bad team after Kyrie and Love went down to two wins in the finals against a 67-win Warriors team. 2018, he took a Cavs team that was I mean, his second-best player. Was it Kevin Love? Was it Jeff Green? Was it... J.R. Smith, who the heck was this? George Hill, who missed a free throw in game one? Who was it? Steph, awesome as he is, the one time I've seen Steph carry a terrible team was, I guess this, this had been three seasons ago, when I thought he should win MVP in 2021 over Jokic. I still believe that. Um, that was not a good team. Draymond was still good. Wiggins was fine. After that, it was kind of rubbish. Furthest he got them was the play-in tournament. That's it. Braun takes teams like that to the finals in his prime. That's not to diminish Steph. I was thinking about this because some of the discussion is talked about because because uh, Kenny Smith on TNT said, wow, after Shaq said what he said, he said, wow, like even better than you, Shaq? He said, oh, yeah, he's better than me. It's like, whoa. Now, I agree. I agree with Kenny. I think Steph all time is better than Shaq. The one thing that I think is we can argue Shaq and Steph all day. The one thing I was thinking about with those two, because they could not be more different players. They're, they're, if you, I don't think there's two more opposite players, all-time greats in the history of the game, than Shaquille O'Neal and Steph Curry. Could not be more different. That's what I think is so funny about it, because I think in the last 25 years, so the last quarter century, at their absolute peak, when they're on, and I mean really on, I don't think there are two. There are any players in in the history in the in the last sorry in the last twenty five years in the NBA that when they're on scare you more than Shaquille O'Neal did at his peak or Steph Curry does at his peak. None, and they're very different. Shaq, how do you stop Shaq? Foul him. That's it. And he, he even still he might still get an and one on you. There is check. Go back and check stats. Uh, Shaq's uh, final stats. They're insane. He's averaging thirty five. D double digit rebounds, multiple blocks. I mean, just terrorizing uh, the Nets and the Pacers and who are the, who's the other team that the, the, the Lakers uh, beat the three P. I'm, it's, I'm blanking on it right now, but they beat the Nets. I know they beat the Pacers. Uh, uh, gosh darn it. Uh, Philadelphia. It was Philadelphia. They, they beat the Sixers. On the other hand, with Steph, when Steph's on one of those one man wrecking crew shooting spurts, 
There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. You can throw three guys at him. Okay, he'll throw the ball to Draymond or, or somebody else or Iguodala back in the day, run around off some screens, grab the, uh, get, get the ball back, go one-on-one, get his own shot, whether it's layup three, whatever. That includes LeBron James. That includes Kobe Bryant. That includes any player, name them. Last 25 years, don't think there's any two players at their peak when they're on that scare you or in the Shaq's case, scared you more than Shaquille O'Neal and Steph Curry, and they did it in very, very different ways. Um, so that's I think I think that's a funner discussion. I think that's a funner discussion, or funner is that a word? A more fun discussion is Steph versus Shaq. I got Steph over Shaq. I think Steph can get to Mount Rushmore, can get as high as fourth all time. I think he, like at some point, he will pass Magic. I think there's a chance he could pass Kobe. He will never pass LeBron. He will never pass MJ. He will never pass Kareem. I just don't, their, their basketball resumes are unimpeachably insane. Not that Steph's isn't, but those guys, maybe Wimby will one day, I don't know. But those three are unbelievable. Got some comments here. My man, John Rivera, Fan Perspective Podcast. He says, Steph is never passing LeBron. I, I, I agree. Again, I, I don't think, aside from shooting, is there anything Steph do, does or did or whatever better than LeBron? Scoring, you can say, is kind of a wash. I mean, LeBron's the all-time leading scorer ever, so you probably got to give it to LeBron. Ball handling, I'd say Steph, but defense LeBron, passing LeBron, um, uh, rebounding LeBron. And again, LeBron took some, again, part of the reason I, I, I put LeBron over Jordan. When Jordan had a bad team, they'd be competitive. When LeBron had a bad team, he took them to the finals. You know, so like that's that's one of, that's one of the arguments, not not the but one of the arguments. My man Philip Chanel, what's up, Philip? Steph is not being a, on Mount Rushmore. Sorry, but no. Well, he's not now. If Steph retired tomorrow, he's not on Mount Rushmore. He's he's not. I know there's some some Steph uh, you know fan accounts on Twitter or Instagram that say he's the he's the in the goat discussion and Shaq is right. Love Shaq. He's wrong. I mean, I love Shaq, and, I, and I'm glad that he's given Steph his love because let's be honest. A lot of the all-time greats don't like giving the current guys their love. They they just don't. We won't have we don't have to name names. They don't love to do it. There's some even on that show who don't on Shaq's show that don't even want to do that. Um, if but again, if because I think Steph, and this is just a projection. This is just a project projection. I've said before, I th- again, I think Steph will be the Tom Brady of the NBA. He won't be the greatest all-time like Brady was. Tom. Till the second to last year, because last year he was okay. Um, Brady was okay last year. Uh, the year before that, I thought he should have won league MVP. Like until the year twenty-two of Tom Brady's career, he was still awesome. He still was arguably the best player, uh, or at least the best quarterback in the NFL. With Steph, I'm not saying he'll be in the argument for best player in the NBA at age 40, 41 years old. But what LeBron's doing. I think Steph's going to do in a different way because their games are different. But I think Steph at age 38, we're still going to be talking about him like, boy, he's still a matchup night, but that's, that's dude still keeps you up at night, you know, game planning for him um, and still capable of being the best player in a championship team. Now, will the Warriors have a championship team? We'll see. I hope we do, but we'll see. And so, uh, but yeah, if he gets an MVP, couple titles, God, it'll be hard to argue. He's not top four. I mean, it'll, that'd be six final. That'd be six championships. Three MVPs. I mean, that'd be almost impossible to argue he's not Mount Rushmore. But he's not there yet. That's why I say he's not there yet. Um, John John says he's going to end up top six all time. I think he's already there. But, um, yeah, that's why I say they say, oh, you put him over Bird, you put him over Shaq or Bill Russell. I say I put him over everybody aside from Bron, Jordan, Kareem, Kobe, and Magic. 
I think Magic's next. He passed Duncan last year, uh, given what he did, averaging 29 points a game at age 35 and and leading the Warriors against a team that was probably better than them in the first round with a 50-point game seven, first ever of its kind. I think he's already sixth. He can get to Mount Rushmore. He will never pass LeBron, MJ, or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. By the way, prayers for Kareem. I saw earlier this week he suffered a, a, a fall. And so hopefully he gets he's, gets better soon, which, you know, Kareem, nothing but the best. One of the great uh, ambassadors for the league. And obviously we know his, 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 all, his Kareem's legacy extends far past basketball. And, and he deserves a lot of love and credit for that. But, uh, yeah. And, and that's, again, that's what I hate anytime. And I don't hate what Shaq said. I hate that when a, a prominent figure says something like what Shaq said, we have to we feel we almost have to discredit a guy, Steph in this case, because he's not what somebody says that he is. Again, we do this all the time. Again, I use the Star Wars example. Force Awakens was not Empire Strikes Back. It just I think it was a good movie. I'm in the minority there. I think it was a good movie. Most people think Empire Strikes Back is the best. I personally think that Return of the Jedi is the best Star Wars movie, but we can maybe I'll maybe on May the fourth we can do a segment uh, about that. Rank, I can do a ranking of Star Wars movies. Maybe I'll do that. I'll do a Bryson. Hey, how about this? A Bryson's best ten on Star Wars movies. Done. Five months from now, May fourth. I don't even know if May the fourth is on a Wednesday. Let me check. Now I'm curious. Now I'm curious. Is May fourth on a Wednesday? May no May fourth on a Saturday next year. Okay, so maybe I'll do it May first. I don't know. Or sometime around that time. Or Friday. Maybe I'll just postpone Bryce's best end of Friday. Oh, that's nice of you, John. John, he says you are one of the goats. I, I appreciate that, my man. And so are you. So are you. It's a fan Perspective Podcast. Check it out. John, John, Henny, Dre put out some great, great, great content. And John, John is a, is a true friend. So shout out to you, my man. I appreciate that. I do want to shift, though, to carving up. But John, John, I, you know, I, I just gave you the comment that you, you probably won't like this next say. Although you may agree with me. I'm not sure. Because it revolves around the New York Jets. And it revolves around their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. And so before I get anything, it's time for this week's edition on a Thursday of Carving Up the Context. And as Coach Prime says, shout out to Coach Prime on that, uh, getting all those transfers in. There we go. Colorado's back, baby. As Coach Prime says, give me my theme music. On this week's edition of Carving Up the Context, talk about Aaron Rodgers. Now, before I even get into the crux of my argument or this segment about Aaron, about the Jets, about the recent development in his recovery from his Achilles injury from week one, what Aaron Rodgers and the Jets have done over the last three months is I don't even want to say teach me a lesson, but reinforce something that I've prided myself on being as great as I can be, or at least as, as consistently good, because you can't be great without being consistently good, as consistently good at this as I can be. And the Jets reinforced something I thought I was good at, and I need a little bit of a reminder. And that's when something happens, especially in the world of sports, if we're talking about just within the, the context of, of this show and of any sports discussion, go with your gut and stay with your gut. Now, if there's information that would say to you, hey, you probably need to change your opinion, then you probably need to change your opinion. But nonetheless, stick with your gut. In any rate, stick with your gut. And when the Aaron Rodgers trade happened, and, well, the trade didn't happen until April. Aaron went on the Pat McAfee show in March and said, my intention is to play for the New York Jets. So it became unofficially official by that point, or at, the, at that point. 
I said this will be a disaster because Aaron with the Packers made uh, made the team in the last few years sort of into his own image, bringing in old buddies like Randall Cobb and keeping other players around that really didn't make that much of an impact on the Packers whatsoever, but because is to appease Aaron, to keep Aaron, because they knew Jordan Love was not ready for that yet, keep Aaron Rodgers. And it resulted in, at least in the last three years, a playoff exit against Tampa Bay in which he had a home game at Lambeau. And then the next year, he lost to Jimmy Garoppolo in the playoffs at Lambeau. And then a year ago, they missed the playoffs with an 8-9 record, and Aaron had probably the worst season of his of his NFL career. I said, I don't think this is going to work. But then around, this was late May, early June. I remember it was during the NBA playoffs because it was a rare NFL topic. And I said, hey, you know, this new Aaron Rodgers, he's very optimistic. He seems, just in the face, he looks younger. He's enjoying New York City. We know Aaron Rodgers is a California guy. He loves the big city atmosphere, and so New York is perfect for him. And he's going to Broadway. He's going to, gosh, I think he went to the Tonys, which I think my man Josh Gad, I think Josh Gad said something like, uh, that would be like me going to the ESPYs or something, which I thought was funny. But he went to the Tonys. He's at Taylor Swift concerts, dancing his, his heart away, or dan- dancing his end of the night to shake it off and everything. And, and he's just enjoying life, spending time with his buddy Miles Teller, Having a great, good old time. I said, you know what? I like this new Aaron Rodgers. Not as grumpy. Doesn't seem as passive aggressive. I like this guy. Maybe the Packers brought the worst in him. Now, and part of the reason too I, I said that and sort of shifted my opinion was anytime a quarterback and a team split, we've seen this starting with Tom Brady and the Patriots, there tends to be, in some cases almost immediately, a clear winner in the split. Tom and the Patriots split. Tom has been the overwhelming winner. The Patriots have been a disaster since he left. Tom won a Super Bowl. Tom almost won league MVP next year. Made the playoffs the year after that. Rode off into the sunset and is, is seem to be enjoying retirement. Matt Stafford and the Lions with the Rams. Now, the Rams have won that trade because they got a Super Bowl out of it, and that's the ultimate goal in the sport. Lions have, I don't even want to say they lost. They just didn't get the better end of that deal, but Detroit's had a very good season. They've rebuilt in a very, uh, very impressive way. Russell and the Broncos split. I'm sorry, Russell and the and the Seahawks split. Russell and Denver have kind of gotten it right now that they got to Sean Payton, but Seattle thus far has seemed to have gotten the better end of that deal. And so I said, somebody's going to win. I don't see there being two losers here. Thus far, it seems like there has been. Now, maybe we'll have a clear winner next year. Maybe Aaron comes back age 40, going, uh, going to age 41, and the Jets are a Super Bowl contender, and they get the offensive line right. I don't see that as loaded as the AFC is, but maybe it happens. Maybe, just maybe, Jordan Love turns into Aaron Rodgers 2.0. Just like Aaron was the heir apparent for Brett Favre, maybe Jordan Love is for Rodgers. I don't see that either. So thus far, we do not have a clear winner. And the Packers have lost in some ways, but oh, have the Jets and others. What Aaron Rodgers has done, and I'm going to quote a man I definitely do not quote often on this show, if ever. That's Skip Bayless. Now, Skip is not often a quotable guy in the sense of things you might want to repeat. But he is in this regard. Skip has said for years, and he stood on this, and to his credit, he's been a 1,000% right, that Aaron Rodgers is a master media manipulator. That's the term that Skip uses, and he's right on that. And that's exactly what Aaron Rodgers is. Because when the Achilles injury happens, we're all, I mean, I remember coming to my show that Wednesday, a couple days after, and all of us are just gutted. For Rodgers, the Jets, for the fan base, it's like, oh my God, they finally have some hope as a franchise, and it 
It just goes up in smoke four plays into the season. It just sucks. It's terrible. It still is terrible. And then as time goes on, Aaron, as weeks go by, hey, you know, you never say never. Well, you never say never. I agree with that. But then as the weeks go on, week six, seven, eight, nine, Aaron says, hey, I'm going to be coming back. Remember when the Chargers beat the Jets on Monday Night Football and Aaron Rodgers was uh, embraced uh, Derwin James after the game? And he said that, uh, Derwin said, when are you coming back? And he said something like soon. And he said, I'm going to come back during December. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, cheat the, the, the old, the old, what we know to be true about an Achilles injury, which is it takes a while. It's about as bad of an injury, as devastating an injury as you could, you could suffer in sports, especially for a guy Aaron's age, but modern medicine, you can come back quicker. I remember Cam Akers, who unfortunately tore his Achilles again recently, but Cam Akers running back for the Rams two years ago, tore his Achilles in training camp and was back by the Super Bowl or was back by the playoffs at least. So it was like a five-month recovery because I think they found this new technology, this new surgery method. I'm not a doctor. I can't explain it. But basically athletes could come back quicker than they used to off of Achilles. Great. But Aaron says, no, 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 no. The old you know, modern medicine, it's – we know Aaron's been on this campaign the last couple of years to prove us that vaccines are evil and – and, and, and these doctors don't know what they're talking about, but he does. Aaron Rodgers definitely knows the, the, the name of the game when it comes to when it comes to modern medicine. He said, I will get a win over it. I will come back from an Achilles injury. And recently, in the last few days, Robert Saul announced, yes, indeed, Aaron Rodgers is going to be on the 53-man roster, and he's not going to play a snap. Now, Riddle, let me ask you this question. That injury happened, I think it was on I think it was on September 11th, because I remember Aaron running out in the field with the American flag. Uh, we know the significance of that date, and especially in the city of New York. That happened three months and 10 days ago. Do we actually believe that Aaron Rodgers is fully ready to go, or at least healthy enough to go? Because I don't. Three months after an Achilles injury, an Achilles tear? You're not back three months. Not even Cam Akers was. Remember two years ago? Aaron lied, not just manipulated, but straight up lied about his vaccine status. We can argue, we can talk about, you know, whatever your opinion is on the vaccine, whatever. But Aaron straight up lied. I know of guys, remember Cole Beasley, who used to play, and he was talking about, yeah, the vaccine is terrible and all this, and I won't get it. Well, at least he was honest. I disagree with him, but at least he's honest. At least he told you where he stood. At least I know where Cole Beasley and other players stood. Aaron Rodgers, yeah, I'm, I'm immunized. Turns out he gets COVID. Oh, yeah, by the way, he, he took some other substance. He lied to the media. He lied to the fans. The Packers as well played into his lie because they got to play to the to the, to, to, to the beat of the star quarterback. The Jets have had to do the same. They had to keep Zach Wilson in large part maybe because of Aaron Rodgers because he wanted to show, hey, Zach, under my tutelage and my mentorship, he can keep the ship, keep the ship a sail, and I'll come back, save the day, and the Jets will win the Super Bowl. No, that's that was that was never at any point, at any time, going to work. Aaron's whole mission here uh, was to Prove to the NFL world, prove to the modern medical community, hey, I can cheat the system. No, you can't. And the crappy part about this is 
because Aaron is now in the 53-man roster. And again, he's not going to play because the Jets are mathematically eliminated. He wouldn't have played anyway, but because they're mathemat mathematically eliminated, a fullback for the Jets got cut. A fullback for the Jets who was healthy enough to play now doesn't have a job. I don't know if he's on the Jets practice squad now. I don't know if they'll pick him up. If another team picks him up for his sake, I hope he does. But just to appease Aaron, just like you hired Nathaniel Hackett, who's a terrible, incompetent offensive coordinator, but it's to make Aaron happy. Just like you brought Randall Cobb in, who's been a no-show because he's an older player. Just like you brought Alan Lazard in, who's been a healthy scratch multiple times this season. Meanwhile, Mike McCarthy, who coached Aaron Rodgers, is flourishing in Dallas, and some have even argued about whether or not he's a coach of the year candidate. Dak Prescott, already a great quarterback that I've said for years, is having the best season of his career now with McCarthy having full control and full reign over reign Dakota Prescott. Meanwhile, Aaron is in New York with a dysfunctional franchise, a terrible offensive line, terrible offensive coordinator, receivers he brought in just because they were his buddies and not really because they could help him win. Aaron Rodgers is the best gaslighter I think I've ever seen in my life. We saw it with the vaccine thing two years ago. We see it this year now. Even last year, the notion that the Packers could actually make the playoffs and win five straight was ludicrous, um, and they didn't. And now this year... It was a topic on shows, and notice on this show, not to pop myself up, but I never really discussed it. Can Aaron Rodgers come back? It's a freaking Achilles. No, he's not. He'll be back next year. He can't come back off an Achilles surgery in three or even four months. And the Jets, without him, were never going to survive because of the quarterback they had in the building. Their quarterbacks, if you want to include Tim Boyle, also a Jet because he's buddies with Aaron. Tim Boyle, who's a terrible college player and a terrible NFL player, but he's buddies with Aaron, so we got to keep him, got to appease Aaron. This is what desperate franchises and poorly run franchises do. Whenever they get an all-time great, which Aaron undoubtedly is, he is a first-bout Hall of Famer, no questions asked. He's one of the greatest talents the position has ever seen. He's also kind of a crappy leader, and he darn sure doesn't know how to put guys around him uh, with, with the team that he's with to put the team in the best position to succeed. This is what happens when you get a guy like Aaron Rodgers full power. The Packers didn't want to do it anymore, and guess what? Packers and Jets are in basically the same position. Packers haven't been mathematically eliminated yet. They will be. Packers aren't making the playoffs, and neither are the Jets. But they're both about where I thought in March they would have been. I walked it back in May, June. I was wrong in that regard. This is what happens when you give Aaron Rodgers full power, and I'm not surprised. Got some comments here. Uh, yeah, John Rivera, big Jets fan. I, that, that's who I feel the worst for is Jets fans, what they've had to go, go through. John, John's got the broken heart emoji. He says, if he uh, if we was in the playing play, uh, playoff hunt, he would be playing in two weeks. I simply don't believe that, John, John. I don't. Uh, it is, again, by the way, the videos that we saw at practice, did he look remotely healthy? I mean, he's notice when they would show the quarterbacks, Zach Wilson, Tim Boyle, I think Trevor Simeon's with the Jets. They'd show the quarterbacks. They'd be practicing, and Aaron would be like off on another practice field like all by himself. He wasn't healthy. He isn't healthy. He's not ready to go. It sucks. I was devastated. Jets fans were 50 times more devastated than I was or the rest of NFL fan bases were. It, he was never coming back. In part because the Jets wouldn't, wouldn't have been good enough to survive without him, but in part, it, 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 it's a torn Achilles. It's about the worst injury you could suffer. 
He was never coming back. Notice we're not seeing this. I get the injury happened in week eight. I get that. We're not hearing this from Kirk Cousins in Minnesota about, hey, if the Vikings were to make some crazy run to the Super Bowl, I could come back in February. No, you couldn't, Kirk. But we're not hearing that. In part because the Vikings obviously aren't going to the Super Bowl, but even if they were, Kirk wouldn't have been back by that point. John, John, there's a 25% chance Rodgers asks for a trade or gets released. I just have a funny feeling. Well, they're definitely not going to release him. Uh, I think, I, I think, I, I disagree, John, John. I think he is, knowing how Aaron's wired, I think he's going to be all the more stubborn to say, no, I will keep my guys here. Once I'm back, and he'll be 100% by September, thank goodness, but he's going to keep, he's going to make sure the Jets keep Hackett. They shouldn't, but he'll make sure they will. And Cobb, Cobb might be gone by that point. Cobb might just retire in his own will. I'm not sure. Lazard, Tim Boyle, you know, because he likes throwing darts. In, I'm sorry, Hack is the guy who likes throwing darts in the in the quarterback meetings. Keep those guys around and see and show the world, hey, now that I'm healthy, I can do it my way. I can win it my way. Okay, good luck with that. Tried it in Green Bay, which for my criticism of the Packers, they're a very well-run franchise. If you couldn't do it there, you darn sure can't do it with the Jets. As it's he's a gaslighter. That's what he is. That's what he's always been. You know, and props to those in the media who never fell for this ludicrous narrative. This is insane. Um, and there are many people out there that, that deserve a lot of credit for not really giving this a whole lot of airtime. Uh, again, by the way, my predictions for Saints Rams in about twenty-five to thirty minutes or so. Uh, big game tonight in Los Angeles. I mean, two seven and seven teams. Both, well, the Rams obviously aren't in the mix to win the division because the Niners just did. But the Saints tied with Tampa Bay at 7-7 seven and seven in the NFC South, so this is a huge game for the Saints. By the way, the Saints, either the Saints or Tampa Bay could actually get in the playoffs even if they don't win the division. Now they'd have to go at least, you know, 2-1 two and, two and one in, down the stretch. But they actually play each other next week in Tampa on New Year's Eve, so that will be, that game will probably decide the division for all we know. And as for the Rams, listen, I put them in Bryce's best 10 last week, Bryce's best 10 in about 10 minutes or so. But I put the Rams with a losing record. I put them in my top 10, and they look great against Washington. They're playing very well. Stafford's playing awesome as of late. So I'll predict that game in about 25 to 30 minutes. I do want to talk about John Morant, though, of the Memphis Grizzlies, who uh, got a very rare win, let's put it that way, against the New Orleans Pelicans. 115-113, uh, John Morant. Did not look like he missed 25 games. Obviously, the 25-game suspension for the incident with the firearm on IG Live. But uh, Ja looks like he, he just plugged back in the lineup. It's like 2K. You ever played 2K and a guy misses three months uh, due to an injury? He comes back in and you drop 50 with him? You know, that's what it was like for John Morant, okay? Ja dropped 34, 8, and 6 uh, on 12 of 24 shooting, 0 for 5 from 3. But Ja's never been a great three-point shooter. Uh, but very efficient from the field, 50%. Including the game-winning walk-off shot at the buzzer, it was actually Jaws' very first buzzer beater of his career. And the Grizzlies got again. I might add a very rare W to improve to uh, a pretty well, below mediocre, below average record of seven and nineteen. And it was a really cool moment to watch to see Jaw come back. And this is like kind of his, an it's kind of like a last chance at redemption for him. And obviously we're all pulling for John because he's an awesome player. And I've, I've spoken before. I do not think job Morant is a bad person. I, I, I don't subscribe to that narrative. I don't know if he gets it still though. Now I could be reading what Josh said after the game wrong. 
But when he hit that buzzer beating shot and he did the interview with TNT and it was great and he was excited about it and he should be. But there was a, a video somebody took of him running to the locker room and he said, I kept all the receipts. Kept the receipts on what? Now, it might have been somebody, maybe uh, maybe I didn't see it. Somebody on TV said something bad about Jaw, like, oh, he's not good, or which is obviously a terrible take, but he's not going to make that much of an impact. I don't know. But if it's if you talk about keeping the receipts on what people said after the second incident, then I have no idea what he's talking about. Ja, you did not come off of a, an ACL tear. This isn't like you suffered a terrible catastrophic injury. Just talked about Aaron Rodgers a second ago. Came back, was amazing when mo most people thought you wouldn't be. In that case, you could say, yeah, I kept all the receipts. Look at me now. You're dead wrong. In that case, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, what can we say now? Kept the receipts on what? The fact that you brought a firearm into a strip club in Denver and got suspended eight games only to do it two months later and get suspended 25, not to mention the incident, and we, we don't have all the information on this. This is still a, a pending case, but uh, there's allegations about him getting into an altercation with a, I think, a 17-year-old, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of summers ago. Not to mention the fact that Jaws Entourage had a laser, this is 100% facts, pointed at the Pacers, Indiana Pacers team bus last season. This is not to mention the incident where uh, a, a, a store clerk uh, got into it with Jaws' mom and Jaw and his entourage, like, tried to, like, hunt the guy down, it seemed like. Receipts on what? I'm pulling for, I don't want to make this sound like I'm not pulling for Jaw. I hope he succeeds. I'm, I'm rooting for him to succeed. If Jaw goes out there, leads the Grizzlies to the playoffs, then comes back next season, wins MVP, how great of a redemption story is that? They make movies about stuff like that. And again, I don't think Jaw's a bad person. I just don't know what those comments are really supposed to mean, ultimately, at the end of the day. If the receipts are we, myself included, or the general public, we're saying, hey, Jaw's got to get better. Jaw's got to improve. Receipts, you're making it sound like that's a, a, a bad thing. We want the best for Jaw. Again, I don't know Jaw. I don't know him personally. But again, from a distance, again, I want to reiterate, he seems like a pretty decent kid. Receipts on what, though? I think it's a situation where, again, and maybe he could be talking about somebody who said something about him the day before. Maybe somebody somebody at the arena said something at him, like, hey, you're never going to be the same, or you suck. Or, I don't know. And if that's the case, just blow it off. Just don't even give that the attention it deserves if it's some heckler at the arena in New Orleans. But if he's referring to what we said when he got in trouble, sorry to say this, Ja, but we're right. And we want the best for Ja. The, the absolute last thing I want to see is for his career to go into the toilet because of decisions he makes in his personal life. That's Nobody wants to see that. I mean, how many what-if stories do we have in all of sports? Like, man, if the guy had just stayed out of trouble, what could he have been? The last thing I want is for Ja, and the last thing any of us want is for Ja to be like that kind of story. Because Jaws a spectacular talent. Jaws a guy who can average, who's more than capable at some point in his career of averaging 30. Jaws an all NBA player, an all star level player. He's also, he's, he's led the Grizzlies to a 56 win season. I think it was 56 wins in 2022. Won a playoff series, was great in that playoff series against Minnesota before getting hurt against Golden State. He's a generational talent at point guard. 
I I hope I'm wrong on this. I oh my god, I hope I'm wrong on this. I don't know if he still if he gets it. He doesn't need to listen to us. And this goes back to the conversation that about getting whether it was counseling or going to therapy or cutting out people in his life that are the bozos he hung hung around with that were bad for his public image, uh, that in some ways put him in a situation that he shouldn't want to find himself compromised in. I don't know. I mean, if, if look, as I've said, if the, I think it was $39 million he missed out on last year due to the suspension because he didn't play enough games to make all NBA, man, $39 million, a lot, a lot of lettuce. If he, if that didn't teach the lesson, if the 25 games did it, and again, maybe he did learn his lesson. And I hope I'm, I hope that is the case. I didn't love that. That 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 to me is kind of missed the mark on, on what he said. And I'm pulling for Ja, and I hope he goes out there and, and crushes the NBA. I do, uh, crush the competition rather. That that was a little concerning for me. God, could be wrong. Hope I'm dead wrong because I'm pulling for Ja. A little concerning from what I saw. Um, now Memphis, by the way, could make the playoffs. Again, they're seven and nineteen. They played terrible basketball. Uh, they should have never traded Tyus Jones. I remember talking about that last year. Like the fact that they moved Tyus Jones was was weird uh, for Marcus Smart. Nothing against Marcus because he's an impact player, but I, I I went through the stats all the time that the Grizzlies were an objectively better basketball team with Tyus Jones in the lineup as opposed to Morant. Uh, the offensive rating was better. The defense was rating was was better. Uh, they got more open shots. The floor was spaced more. Uh, and so the fact that they moved, especially of all times, the last time to move Tyus Jones was knowing that your best player was going to be gone for 25 games. So that was a, an odd move by Memphis's front office. I don't think Taylor Jenkins, the coach, has had a particularly in, uh, in, impactful season there. But listen, Memphis is sitting there at nine and seventeen, or sorry, seven and nineteen. Good news is we're in December. Uh, they are 26 games of the year, so they still got 56 to go. A lot, lot of basketball ahead of them, so they can still make the play-in tournament, uh, or even, maybe even the playoffs if they get hot enough. But I just don't see. Uh, I, I I I didn't really get what John was trying to say there. I I, I just didn't. But I'll tell you this: it's been a very interesting first couple months of this NBA season. A lot of that's because of the playing tournament. I keep calling it the playing tournament. Doggone it! The in season tournament, and the Lakers have had kind of struggled since that. So have the Pacers, by the way. Pacers have struggled since the in season tournament. Maybe there's a little bit of a letdown. I don't know, but uh, yeah. Got Christmas Day uh, games coming up, so those will be fun as well. But there you go. And again, MB dropping, what was it, 51-16 and 16 last night, 51-13 and 13, uh, for the Sixers. 51-12, and 12, I'm sorry, against uh, Minnesota. Very impressive performance by MB. Okay, so every week I do a segment. Uh, every Wednesday, although in this case Thursday, because the fact that uh, I wasn't able to do the show yesterday, I was coming back home from from vacay, so I wanted to, I still want to do the show. Bryce's best ten, carving up the context, all of the above. So it is time for Bryce's best ten this week. Uh, coming into week sixteen, only three games. So at number ten, the lowest they've been all year on this list. It is the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles are the tenth best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So for the positives, 
I still think they have a more than capable offense. Jalen Hurts has had a down season, but hopefully by Monday he'll feel a lot better physically. He won't be, uh, he won't have the flu by that point. AJ Brown's still a very talented player, disgruntled at this point, but still very talented player. So is Devontae Smith. Dallas Goddard, uh, running games go with DeAndre Swift, and we know they still have an incredible offensive line. That's the positive. The negative, as I talked about in the first segment of the show, their defense is trash, their head coach is panicking, their quarterback, in his own way, seems to be panicking, and they can't even get the brotherly shove right. So the fact that they went on the road to Seattle in a game that they really needed to win to keep any hopes of getting the one seed alive, and they give up a 92-yard drive to Drew Locke, bit concerning. I do not love at all what I'm seeing for Philadelphia in any respect, in any form whatsoever. Eagles are the 10th best team in the National Football League. At number nine, making their long-awaited return to Bryce's best 10 after a couple months off, it is the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are the eighth, ninth best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So they're eight and six right now. A lot of folks fought in this team as a contender before the season. I did not. I said the Bills would miss the playoffs. Right now, the road to the playoffs is looking uh, pretty good. They got the Chargers without Justin Herbert this week. They got the Patriots next week and whoever they'll try out there at quarterback. And then at Miami in week 18, which will be a huge game, we assume, for both teams. So for Buffalo, listen, Josh Allen played mistake-free football on Sunday against Dallas. Really wasn't that much of a focal point because of the fact that Buffalo ran for well over 200 yards. James Cook ran for about 170 by himself. So if Buffalo's able to continue establishing this power run game with James Cook. Offensive line has been good as of late. Stephon Diggs, we know the, what he's capable of doing on a game-to-game basis. Not to mention the defense is playing much better in the last couple of games. Uh, Buffalo can absolutely be in the playoffs, and they be a team, while I still would not buy into them as a, as a team that could be a Kansas City or a Baltimore, maybe even a Miami. We'll see in a few weeks and potentially in the playoffs. Buffalo's a team that if you're a three or four seed, you do not want to face in any way, shape, or form. So I got the Bills right now as the ninth best team in the National Football League. At number eight, moving up a couple of spots from last week, it is the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are the eighth best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So I had Miami 10th last week. I had them falling from like five to 10. Now they move up to eight because that terrible loss of the Titans. That was one of Miami's more impressive wins of the season. Given the fact that they didn't have Tyreek Hill, given the talent we know the Jets have defensively, and they looked, they were cooking. Raheem Mostert uh, it w- was really good. The offensive line was good. Tua was efficient. Jalen Wada was, was absolutely tremendous. We know Jalen's capable of being a number one receiver in this league, but because he happens to play with the best receiver in the sport, you know it's, it's kind of hard to show that at times, but he certainly did against the Jets. And uh, listen, for Miami, they have a huge game against Dallas this week. Dolphins have not beaten a team with a winning record since the first half of last season, so it's a big proven opportunity for them. If they were to beat Dallas, they'd certainly come climbing, climbing much higher on Bryce's best 10, but right now I've got them in the bottom half of the 10. The Dolphins are the eighth best team in the National Football League. At number seven, them moving up a spot from last week. Y'all thought I was crazy for putting them in, despite the fact that they were out of the playoffs with a losing record. Now, looking pretty good. It is the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams are the seventh best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So, Matthew Stafford quietly is having, because the Rams, we don't see them in that upper echelon with Philly or Dallas or San Francisco, or even Detroit for that matter. Matthew Stafford is having a fantastic season, uh, especially for the last few weeks against Washington. I get Washington is a terrible defense. We understand that. But Matt Stafford was absolute money. Couple touchdown passes, passer rating over 100 and a QBR in the 80s, despite Cooper Cup uh, dealing with injuries as well and Puka Nakua. 
The Rams are good at receiver. Kyron Williams has been a godsend at the running back position. They're dealing with some injuries to their offensive line, which is a little concerning, but Stafford is playing one of the more impressive seasons of his career. Sean McVay, we know, is a tremendous head coach, and their defense has played well as of late. You look at since Matthew Stafford came back, the Rams' only loss is to the Ravens at Baltimore in overtime. So they can compete. They've shown in the last month or so, month and a half, they can compete with the best of the best in the National Football League. Love where the Rams are at. I think they'd be a scary team to face in the playoffs. They are the seventh best team in the National Football League. At number six, staying in the exact same spot they were a week ago, it is the Cleveland Browns. I hate saying this as a Steelers fan, but the Browns are the sixth best team in the National Football League. And here's why. That was a... Listen, every win in the NFL, you'll take. There's no question about that. And it looked like Chicago was, was kind of controlling that game at, at, at many points against Cleveland. Joe Flacco had not one, not two, but three interceptions. But to maintain your composure, which isn't really the Cleveland way, but they're well coached with Kevin Stefanski. For Joe Flacco to do what he's, he's done, hitting Amari Cooper for the go-ahead touchdown, or I, w- I think it was the tying touchdown. Getting David Njoku to put them in field goal range in order to take the lead and ultimately win it. This Browns defense is scary, especially at home. Miles Garrett, we know that the guy, uh, what the guy is capable of and being a playmaker any given Sunday or Thursday or Monday or Saturday, whatever. He's that great of a football player. Cleveland has an awesome defense. If they had an above average quarterback, if they had a a guy like a Russell Wilson, if they had Russell. I think they could be a serious contender in the AFC. And Russell's kind of, kind of an uneven season. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Joe Flacco, what he's doing is impressive. Kevin Stefanski is an excellent coach. Uh, so the Browns, they don't move, but still the sixth best team in the National Football League. At number five, moving back into the top five this week, it is the Detroit Lions. The Lions are the fifth best team in the National Football League. And here is why. So I said about Detroit coming into this game, last week's game against Denver, I said on Friday's show, that this is kind of the make-it-or-break-it fork-in-the-road moment for Detroit because they lost kind of in blowout fashion to the Bears on the road. The offense has been had been a little inconsistent, but I, I believe the offense could get it right. But the defense had not been playing well over the last month and a half, two months really, starting with that blowout loss to the Baltimore Ravens. And so I'm like, okay, Detroit, Denver's coming in, feeling good about themselves, playing great football on both sides. You need to get this win. You're at home. I didn't even think the Lions would cover Oh my God, not not only did they cover, they blew the doors off the Broncos, who I believe to be a pretty solid football team, playoff level team, 42 to 17. Jared Goff had five touchdown passes, which was absolutely phenomenal in that matchup against the Denver Broncos, who have an excellent defense. Sam Laporta was darn near unguardable with three touchdowns himself. Amon or St. Brown, great number one receiver, underrated number one receiver, and we know how well coached they are with Dan Campbell. If they can get the ship right on defense, this is a team that I said coming into this year I thought would be in the NFC title game. I, I believe in the offense. I think the offense can score in any defensive football. We saw what they did against a good Broncos defense. If their defense gets right, watch the heck out for the Detroit Lions. I think they could blow the doors off a team in round one, shock somebody in round two, and get to the NFC title game. Love what the Lions are doing right now. Detroit, the Lions are the fifth best team in the National Football League. At number four, falling a couple spots from last week, it is the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are the fourth best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So I'm seeing some folks put Dallas out of their top five, overreacting to a blowout loss. (sighs) Take a breath. Let's relax. We knew they weren't good at stopping the run, and that's ultimately their biggest weakness. And Micah Parsons not playing that well as of late, albeit he did have six pressures in the 15 dropbacks by Josh Allen. But nonetheless, listen, Dak Prescott had a bad game. My God, it took him two months to do that. Let's, 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 let's all freak out, okay? Because Dak had a bad game. 
Uh, the Cowboys' running game was fine, not that effective. I anticipate it'll be much better against the Miami Dolphins. I still believe in Dallas's offensive line. I still believe in CeeDee Lamb as a top three, top four receiver in the NFL. And I think this Cowboys defense, listen, they got embarrassed. They got humiliated against Buffalo on the road. Big game for them against Miami on Sunday on Christmas Eve. This can be an opportunity for them to kind of make a statement. Uh, I anticipate Dallas to be far more physical on both sides of the ball, much better situationally. Mike McCarthy, who's had a great season this year, coaching the Cowboys. And by the way, Dak is not out of the MVP discussion. This notion, oh, that loss took him out. There you go. We still have three games to go. And frankly, I think I'd, I'd vote Dak one or maybe or two or maybe even one still for the most valuable player. But the Cowboys, they'll be fine. Defense is still great. Offense still has a top top five quarterback and a top four wide receiver. Cowboys, the fourth best team in the National Football League. At number three, it is the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens maintaining the spot they were in a week ago. The Baltimore Ravens are the third best team uh, in the National Football League. And here is why. Yeah, the Ravens maintained the three spot from last week. Here is why. So a lot of folks have Baltimore two behind San Francisco. I don't for the simple fact that Against Jacksonville, the defense was phenomenal. It was phenomenal doing what they did against Trevor Lawrence, albeit a beat up and probably concussed Trevor Lawrence, at least in the second half of that game. But Jacksonville struggled offensively. They had a stretch, the Jaguars did, where they had a missed field goal, another missed field goal, a fumble, and then they blew it at the end of the half. The Ravens, in that stretch, got seven points. Again, missed field goal, missed field goal, fumble, and then end of the half error clock management-wise. And the Ravens got a touchdown out of it. That's it. Great teams. And not to say the Ravens aren't a great team, because I think they are. I've got them as the third-best team in football. Truly great teams. Super Bowl favorite teams take advantage of other teams' mistakes. We saw the Patriots do this time and time again. And they're a dynasty. The Ravens are not. But every week, if you screwed up, the Patriots were going to make you pay. Every time. All the great teams do it. And so that's kind of my concern for the Ravens. Again, the loss of Mark Andrews is still a substantial one. But they're well coached with John Harbaugh. Lamar's having an excellent season. The Ravens' defense is awesome uh, this year, as most Baltimore Ravens' defenses tend to be. But the Ravens right now, the third best team in the National Football League. At number two, moving up three spots from last week. Because I kind of had a come-to-Jesus moment on this team on Monday's show. It is the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending champions. The Chiefs are the second-best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So, I was thinking about this, and I talked about this on Monday's show, that I have come to terms on who the Chiefs are. The Chiefs are the are a version, so to speak, of the Patriots dynasty of, the last, uh, of that 20-year run where they have an all-time great quarterback, an all-time great coach, although they would take, I would take Reed in a heartbeat over Belichick. Uh, they have an awesome tight end, albeit kind of declining. We saw some of those Patriots Super Bowls. Gronk wasn't the Gronk of old. Kelsey isn't the Kelsey of old. But receivers who we kind of have questions about, but we think the quarterback and coach can get the most out of them, and an excellent defense. Well, Kansas City really has all of those components. They come into New England. I was hearing, hearing some people say, hey, the Patriots might actually upset the Chiefs. That was crazy. But Kansas City... Right now, if you look at their road, they can potentially still get the one seed, which is crazy. Well, prob- they probably won't get it from Baltimore, although Baltimore's upcoming stretch is no joke whatsoever. Kansas City, I see them see them getting the two seed because I see the Dolphins slipping up, and they obviously will will beat whoever wins the AFC South. But Mahomes, if not for a couple drops by Kadarius Tony, maybe the Chiefs are right now the one seed as we speak. So I have not sold my Kansas City stock all season long. Are they the offense that we've come to know them to be with Mahomes and Reed? No, they're not. Are they a good situational offense or capable? being that 
given what we've seen in the playoffs in years past, yes, absolutely, I'm not selling my Chiefs stock. I picked them to win the Super Bowl. I believe it's sticking with your picks unless they just look completely embarrassing like my Broncos picked last year. But I've got the Chiefs right now as the second best team in the National Football League. And once again, at number one, it is the San Francisco 49ers uh, right now. The 49ers are the best team in the NFL once again. And here's why. Well, do I really need to tell you why? Okay. Brock Purdy is having a remarkable season. Hey, Cam. Cam Newton. Hey, he's not a game manager. Okay. He makes plays. He makes big-time throws down the field. Debo Samuel's been excellent. George Kittle's been excellent. So is Christian McCaffrey and Trent Williams and Brandon Ayuk and Jawan Jennings and Nick Bosa and uh, uh, Chase Young, Fred Warner, and Dre Greenlaw. Uh, what, what else can I say? Kyle Shanahan has had another great season as the offensive mastermind behind this 49ers offense. Defensively, they're very well coached uh, as well. Steve Wilkes has done a great job over there after that three-game losing streak. Niners have won their last six. They look like the most dominant team in the NFL. I've said all offseason, I certainly maintain it today. They're the best overall roster in the NFL. San Francisco is the absolute last team you want to face at home, on the road, on Mars. I don't care. This Niners team is absolutely phenomenal. San Francisco 49ers, once again, they've been number one more than any team in the NFL on Bryce's best 10. San Francisco, the best team in the National Football League. Love what I'm seeing from them. And you got to give respect where it's due. As I keep saying, if Purdy, who I don't think is more valuable than Dak Prescott or Lamar Jackson, but if Brock Purdy is the weak link of the Niners, holy cow, that is a ridiculously talented team. Let's recap Bryce's best 10. I got the graphic up here. Or you can see all 10 teams right there. I'll read it from 1 to 10. I've got the 49ers, Chiefs, Ravens, Cowboys, Lions, Browns, Rams, Dolphins, Bills, and Eagles. Some of y'all might think the Eagles are too low. I'm telling you, it's bad. Defense is bad. Offense is struggling. Coach is, seems to be over skis to a certain degree. Uh, I shouldn't say over skis. Let me walk that back. Uh, seems to be panicking a little bit with some of the moves he's made defensively, some of his recent comments at the press conference. Uh, same can be said about Jalen Hurts. I don't like what I'm seeing from Philly right now. Let's see what we got in the comments here real quick. My man, Philip Chenault says, I think the Bills with Joe Brady as the OC can win the Super Bowl this year. They have a real shot if they get hot at the end of the season. Well, I definitely think Buffalo's going to win their next two games because they've got the Chargers, I'm assuming, with either Easton Stick or Max Duggan at quarterback. So Buffalo is a massive favorite. What are, what are they, 13, 14-point favorites? 12 and a half, okay. And they play on Saturday night in Los Angeles. I anticipate the Bills will win that game and win it comfortably. Then they have, I guess, Zappy, uh, Matt Jones, somebody. I anticipate they'll have one of those guys, uh, be playing one of those guys, as they should beat New England at home. And then they have a game against Miami in which, you know, listen, Miami, they could lose to Dallas. Then they could lose to Baltimore. And then all of a sudden, that Week 18 is for the division for the AFC East. I don't totally buy into the Super Bowl thing yet, Phil, because I have simply through 15, 15 games, yeah, through 15, no, 14 games this season, I have not seen the level of consistency from Buffalo that I see from the true contenders, at least what I believe to be the true contenders. Niners, Cowboys, Ravens, Kansas City Chiefs, like those teams, I've seen them be consistently great over a stretch of time. I have not seen that for the Bills. Now, as you say, Philip. If they get hot at the end of the year, then they would have been consistent. And I have to give them love for that. Uh, for that, And they'll be the absolute last team you want to face, assuming they're a wildcard team, if you're a division winner, if you're a Jacksonville, or if you're a Kansas City even, because we know those teams have had some classic duels in the playoffs. Philip, I hate San Fran, but if they stay healthy, it's their Super Bowl to lose. They're the best, and it's not close. I 1,000% agree. 
hundred percent. I mean, absolutely. Because if listen, we can argue about whether or not Brock Purdy is MVP. I don't think he is. I think it's hard for me to say you're the MVP when I don't think you're the most valuable player on your own side of the ball. But I still think Brock Purdy's excellent. I still think Brock Purdy's a top ten quarterback. And I'd like I, I'm not one of the people who says Brock Purdy's not MVP and he's kind of average. Like I, I don't believe in that at all. You see the throws he makes. He's he might be the best anticipation thrower in the NFL. I mean, my guy, check check the tape. And by the way, how quickly he reads the defense. There was a play against Arizona uh, I saw in the film the other day where he looked off his two options, his number one and number two reads to the right, and then saw Christian McCaffrey to the left and made the decision in like two seconds. So he's he's having an excellent year, and I, I agree. San Francisco is absolutely stacked. It's about as loaded a roster as we've ever seen. Philip also says, I'm so glad Philly is downfalling. <laughs> Best thing to happen about this season so far. I'm enjoying it as well, buddy. I'm enjoying it as well. It's, it's it's been great, and I get listen. I gave Philadelphia love for you Eagles fans that get mad at me, think I'm having y'all too low. I gave y'all love when not many did. When you were, I had you number one on my list when you were winning close games against great teams like Kansas City, like Dallas. But listen, when you put together a three game stretch of terrible, which I sorry, a whole season of terrible defensive football, a three game stretch of really really uneven to bad offensive football. Yeah, that's. You make a change of defensive coordinator, hoping nobody would notice. Not an official change, but a theoretical change of defensive coordinator bringing in Patricia. Ugh, it's, I mean, they're not trending upwards. And I see the comparisons that many have. My buddy Barry Grant Jr. was probably the first I heard say this. Shout out to Barry, all even podcast. Check it out in the grid. He said, you know, they are the 2020 Steelers. They are the 2021 Cardinals or the 2022 Vikings. Yeah, there's always that one team every year that wins double-digit games, wins their division, which I don't think Philadelphia is going to. But there's always that team every year that's, their record's good, but we don't really believe in them. And they come crashing down. And right now, it looks like Philly's that team. So, I don't know. That's the only way I'm seeing them at all. They're not doing any, they can't even do the brotherly shove right. They can't do the brotherly shove right. I'm not sure what you can do right at this point. Again, only saving grace for Philly is that their schedule is probably the weakest in the NFL the last three weeks. And again, I still think that they have, they've got another loss in them. And if they do, Dallas wins the division. Because what's crazy, and then I'll move move to my predictions for tonight's game. Real quick, I did want to mention this, and I'll talk more about it tomorrow. What's crazy is that regardless, and this is important, regardless if Dallas beats Miami on Sunday, okay, even if they if the Cowboys lose 50 to nothing to Miami, which they're not going to, but if they did, and Philly lost to the Giants. Weirdly, Dallas controls their own destiny. It, it's weird to say, but because of, I think the tiebreaker between those two is conference record. Well, if the Eagles lose to the Giants, Dallas, who are, who's not just an NFC team, but an NFC East team, Dallas loses to Miami. Well, who cares as far as conference record? Who cares? That's an AFC team. It would not impact their NFC record. Dallas would then control their own destiny for the division. So interesting, interesting the way that things have kind of turned around in that regard. So I, I'm telling you, it's 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 going to come down to week 18, I think, between those two. And I think I think Dallas is going to get the get the better end of that deal. I predicted Dallas to win the division to get the one seed, which they're not going to get the one seed. It doesn't look like unless the Niners just full blown collapse. But I think the Cowboys. I think everybody thinks the Cowboys are better than the Eagles. Any reasonable person, but still. All right. Big game tonight. I don't normally say it about Thursday night games. Uh, next week, not to spoil anything, but next week's Thursday night game is kind of a dud. Jets and Browns. 
Browns are going to be a playoff team, it looks like, but not exactly. They don't exactly play an aesthetically pleasing brand of football. And the Jets not only are not fun to watch, they're out of the playoffs entirely. So that game's going to be in Cleveland. I'm not, not going to sit up here in front and act like that's going to be a good TNF game. This one could be. This one very well could be. But the Los Angeles Rams for. Depending on where you check, uh, that's important. Uh, depending on where you look, this is a funny one because it seems like all the momentum, at least in the betting market, is going toward the Saints, and I can't really figure it out. The Rams have the better quarterback. They're at home. They have the better coach, way, way better coach. They have probably not the better defense. They'll probably get that edge to the Saints, just as good as weapons as New Orleans, and they're playing better. Now I get the Saints have won their last two games, but listen, let's be honest. The Saints beat the Giants at home, and the Saints beat the Panthers at home as well. Carolina's awful. Meanwhile, you got the Rams, who ever since Stafford came back from that injury after they lost to the Packers, the, when the Rams lost to the Packers, okay, they beat Seattle, they beat Arizona on the road, and blew out the Browns, okay, blew out Cleveland Browns, who we know has a great defense, lost in overtime, and one could argue they kind of got screwed on an officiating error by the, the refs not calling a block in the back on the walk-off touchdown, uh, so you have that component as well. Then they come back at home, bounce back quickly, and beat the Commanders. So the Rams are playing excellent football as of late. You saw my list. I think they're the seventh best team in football right now. Stafford's playing great. They've got an excellent coach to a great coach in Sean McVay. Actually, he is a great coach. He's a top five coach. Puka Nakua is having an excellent rookie season. I think a week ago, he was like the highest graded rookie. Offense rookie by Pro Football Focus. So he's playing great. Uh, Cooper Cup, if, if, my, if my twin can just stay healthy. Uh, he's still an impact player in this league. O-line for the Rams has been demonstrably better than it was a year ago. I've been a Derek Carr guy for a while. I'm not selling my Derek Carr stock yet because I, I think when, when the Saints make a coaching change, and hopefully they will for their sake, I'll give Derek Carr another shot with another coach. Uh, but right now, I don't like where the Saints are going in, in that direction, uh, the direction that the Saints are going in general. And frankly, I think the Rams, I, I didn't pick them to make the playoffs before the season, but I figured they'd be competitive because of the veteran guys they have on that team. They're playing good football. I think they're a lock playoff team. Knock on what everybody stays healthy. Uh, so right now, I, I think it's an easy bet. If this were a Sunday game, this would be my If I Were a Betman segment. I've got the Rams covering the four and a half point spread and winning this game 27 to 16 over the New Orleans Saints. Rams win 27 16 over New Orleans. They get to eight and seven uh, and boost their chances significantly to make the playoffs in the NFC. Because if you look at the NFC right now, Minnesota is in right now, but they really gave away an opportunity in that loss to Cincinnati and Jake Browning because the Vikings, if I can pull this up here, I know they have Detroit twice. Okay, Minnesota's got to play the Detroit Lions in two of their last three weeks, including at Detroit in Week 18. Then they have the Packers, and that's kind of the go-either-way game on New Year's Eve. So, I don't know. I, I do not like the direction that the, that the Vikings are going right now at all. So, they could fall out. Rams are hot. Packers will see. Seattle's feeling good about themselves after that win over Philly. At the bottom of the NFC, we listen. We know who the division uh, when the Niners have already clinched the the NFC South. Sorry, NFC West, NFC South is going to have a team in. Looks like it could be Tampa. Although New Orleans uh, is going to make obviously a push to get in. You're going to have either Dallas or Philly winning the East, and then second place being the five seed. And that's kind of a free for all for the six and seven seed. So it'll be a fun chase to the finish, a fun mad dash to the finish in these last three weeks of the NFL regular season. How crazy is that that we're close to the end of the regular year nuts all right that is all the time we have for today's show a special thursday show uh in place of the wednesday show I was not able to do yesterday due to traveling but 
Excited to be back in the studio, back live and carving it up. Thank you so much to those who, who commented and tuned into the show. But again, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by, as always, and being very active in the comment section, putting up some good, good discussion points. Always love you guys for that and for your support. It truly, truly means the world to me. Uh, be sure to catch Carving Up Live tomorrow night. I usually say Friday, but tomorrow night, which it is Friday, but I usually do the show on Wednesday, tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. Of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. Again, we are trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is February the 11th. I believe we can get there. So if you have not subscribed, please take a couple seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button down below, down there. I'm trying to get my finger to that point. Yeah, somewhere down there. You know where I'm pointing. There it is. Hit it. Become part of the Carving It Up family. And uh, we greatly appreciate it. If you have subscribed, thank you so much. Tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe to Carving It Up. And more importantly, or just as importantly, I should say, be sure to go subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. Be sure to tune in uh, to all of our incredible content creators. And my man Patrick is writing some great, great pieces for The Grid Network website, so check him out as well. All right, fun show tomorrow. So we're going to talk Thursday night football. Going to talk Tua's recent comments. And obviously, I'll give my predictions, my week 16 predictions. We got Christmas Eve games. We got, uh, I'm sorry, we got games on Saturday, Christmas Eve, Eve, Christmas Eve, and then Christmas Day games. So some fun NFL action this weekend, no question about it. And also tomorrow, I did this last year. I'm going to bring the segment back this year. I'm going to do my sports Naughty and nice list. Last show before Christmas. I'll, I'll do a show the, the day after Christmas rather than on Monday. So, uh, yeah, be sure to tune to that. Naughty and nice list. NFL predictions. Reaction to tonight's game. Very excited about that. But I'll see y'all then. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. We have got to address this problem. There's no question about that. So, we need to make our impact where we can. All right. I'll see y'all tomorrow. Very excited about the game tonight. I got the Rams 27 to 16 over the Saints. See y'all on tomorrow's show at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific on YouTube and on Twitter. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. I tell you, some of these Star Wars movies, I'm going to have to do a ranking list soon. <laughs>